Well, it's great to be with you. Uh, my name is Phil Varley. I'm one of the pastors here at King's. It's such a privilege to speak today. Um, as I think you've probably heard, the Beckham site's launched today, and I think you've probably heard the numbers. And I've just been there and spoke there. Um, amazing. So just a fantastic start, really brilliant. Uh, just so you know, we launched the Lee site um, seven years ago, so I knew exactly what this morning was like for Beckenham. So they had 240. On our first morning at Lee, we had 170. So it gives you an idea of how many people have just turned up. I was saying to Charles, you're going to have people are already going to ask you questions. How are we going to fit everybody in? When's two services started? So he's, I was like, it's already going to start. I guarantee you that question has been asked this morning. So fantastic to be with you. What an amazing video and story, and obviously totally fits with what I'm going to speak on today. We are in a series called Vision 2030. We are talking about what do we feel called to as a church and, and what, you know, who are we to be as a church over these next sort of decade, 12 years. And we're using these three words to help us reach, restore, and resource, and we're preaching through each one. And if you've been here the last two weeks, Steve opened up the series and really spoke out of kind of Acts 11, especially about the Antioch church in the New Testament, which was like a model church, had significant impact locally, but also played its part wider in a kind of sending leaders and helping churches in a much wider part of the world. And the main reason to really talk about vision, there's two main reasons really. One is, is that we want to present to everybody, look, this is what we feel called to do. And much of it we're already doing, but there's more we feel. And it's, and it's good for us to be able to say that and sense, right, this is where we're going, this is what we feel that God is calling us and speaking to us about. But the other big reason to talk about vision is because when you do what we're praying for and believing for is that many of us in the room and maybe hundreds or even thousands of us across the church will sense for ourselves God speaking to us about the part we're to play in that. Because church is always about a family that we are part of, not a place that we attend. And so as we present vision, we're praying that for many of us in the room, we're going to sense God speak, yeah, I want to be part of that. I want to play my part. I want to bring the gifts God has given me and make a contribution to this family in terms of what we're trying to do. Now, I experienced that. I mean, I've experienced it many times, but I experienced it particularly when I was 13 years old. I went to a Bible week called the Dales Bible Week. It was a Christian camp up, up in Yorkshire. It's cold and dark and wet. No, it wasn't. It was, it was nice, okay, but it was north. And um, sorry for anyone from Yorkshire uh, or north of Watford, okay, or Sidcup, in fact. Anyway, I oh know we're north of Sidcup. And at this Bible week, I heard a guy that I'd never heard of speak, a man called Terry Vogo, who's actually the founding father of New Frontiers. It's a family church we're a part of. And I heard him speak of a Bible, out of a Bible pass, um, book in an Old Testament called Nehemiah. And that was a book I'd never read. And if you know the story of Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah is in exile. He is, um, he is working to the king in the royal Persian court, and he is a cupbearer to the king. And while it's there, news comes from Jerusalem that the walls are down and the gates are burnt. In other words, things in Jerusalem are not as they should be. And the news so grips his heart that in the end he persuades the king to release him and resource him, in fact, to go back and to help rebuild the walls and rebuild the gates. And although I was only 13 years old, those two nights were very significant for me because God did two things in my heart. First of all, he began to plant in my heart uh, a sense and a desire that the church could be and should be more than it was and is. That actually, 
in certainly back then, and I would say still now often in the nation, the church is not what it could be. That the walls are down and the gates are burnt. That the church is sometimes seen as a bit irrelevant, a bit, a bit old-fashioned, a bit impotent when it comes to anything significant. And I feel God started to plant in my heart that that is not how things should be. That the church should be the most remarkable body and family and community on the face of the earth. And it's God's plan and idea. And that when we get the church right, it's a place where people who are far away from God can come home where we can present the gospel in a way that people understand and is accessible, that we can, make it, uh, we can make it in a way accessible without watering it down and diluting the truth, that we can teach grace and mercy, and people can come as they are, but when they encounter Jesus, they start to line their life up with him. Life starts to make sense. Amen? And, we, and you start to get a sense of, that this is a community where people get known or are known and we reach out and use our gifts and we can reach out and to a local community beyond ourselves. And I started to get in my heart a sense of what the church could be. But at the same time, critically, not only that, I think as a 13-year-old, I felt God start to put in my heart a desire that I wanted to play my part in that. That I wanted to bring what I had and bring the gifts that God had given me and make my contribution to helping build a church that was more like that. So that's why I'm here. And we are doing this series because we're praying that hundreds of us will say, that's why I'm here. I want to play my part in seeing God build his church and advance his kingdom right here where we live in South London. So we are called to reach. Steve talked about that last week. And next week, Andrew's going to teach on the issue of resourcing, that we're called to a much wider call to, to help send leaders and, and, and help churches all over the world. And, we're called, and he's going to teach on that. But I want to focus on this word, restore. Now, just to say, all these words are interconnected. They all interplay. We know that. But I want to focus on this word. And what does it mean? Well, if you're a Christian here, and I know not everybody in the room is going to be a Christian yet. Some of us, we're still checking out faith, and you are very welcome if that's where you are. And maybe you haven't yet, if you like, given your life to Jesus, maybe even not sure if he even is real yet, well, you can just be around us and find out. But if you have crossed that line of faith and you've given your life to him, God will already have been doing a restorative work in your life. Because the gospel is not just about, or not only about us being forgiven, as amazing that is, it's also about us being changed and healed. That God wants to restore what has been broken in our lives from sin. And if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for any length of time, you will know there's things in your life where God has started to change you and, and get you free of old habits and old destructive thinking or things that have hurt you in the past. And God wants to get you free and changed. And this is throughout the Bible. You'll see this as well, not just, not just in your experience. Ephesians 2, Paul writes and he says, You are God's work, workmanship. It means literally his work of art. Now I want you to turn to the person next to you. Don't say you are a piece of work unless you've got an issue with them. Just say you are God's work of art, okay? Okay. So Ephesians 2, Galatians 4. 
Same thing. He says, now, I'm praying until Christ is formed in you. In other words, God wants to do a work in you and change you and make you into someone different, who, well, who you were fully meant to be in the first place and get you free of some of the addictive and difficult brokenness from your past. So God is already doing a restorative work in your life. Jesus modeled this in the Gospels. He comes preaching, teaching, and healing. He announces the kingdom, and he demonstrates the kingdom. Captives are free, sick are healed. In other words, when anybody meets Jesus, something of their brokenness seems to get freed and healed. So we're already experiencing this. And if you are a Christian, you'd have already experienced this. And what I want to encourage you to do is keep surrendering your life to him. Because if you keep doing that, then you experience more freedom. Because sometimes it takes quite a while to get free of some of our old stuff. So we experience it individually. We experience it corporately, together. Because we know God works like this, we will do things intentionally to facilitate God having access to our lives. We run marriage courses and parenting courses and freedom in Christ and stewardship nights and all sorts of things. And they are always saying to God, we want you to have your way in our lives and we want your kingdom rule to affect every area of my life. So you would have already experienced something of this word and something of his work in your life like this. But we want to, particularly this morning, I want to particularly this morning focus on on another aspect of this word. And that is because I believe, we believe, that there is, if you like, a restore call on us as a church that goes beyond my own experience of him working in my life and maybe our experience through the groups and ministries, but should touch the wider community in, in the area all around us. Because we believe there is a restored call on us that means people and families and communities who may never come to any of our meetings, who may never join a group, may in fact completely reject the idea that God is real and that he seeks and saves lost people, that they may experience some change, some healing, some, if you like, restoration in the community because God is at work in this church family and other church families and it spills out into the communities all around us. In other words, that there should be something different, something better, something restored in the wider community because God's people are there in the midst, right in the middle. Now, we already experience and see some of that. We embody that, don't we, already? That story we just heard and what Simon and the team do in the Jericho Road project and the Big Red Box, all those things are absolutely acts of restoration touching a community who may never come to church, who may never become Christians. So it's not that this isn't already happening. It is already happening. It's just that we sense that in this next decade or so, there is more. And the reason I think we sense it is because when you read the gospel, what you realize is this theme is absolutely central to what kingdom living is all about. So there are so many passages we could go to, but I'm going to take you to two quick passages in the Old Testament. The first one is Isaiah 58. This passage is written to a bunch of religious people who are very diligent about the things that they are doing. They're fasting, they pray, they do all the right things at the right time, seemingly, or some of the right things. And then, but this is what God says to them through the prophet Isaiah. He says this, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, 
when you see the naked to clothe them, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. To a people who are religiously diligent, God says, this is the kind of devotion I'm after, that you break yokes of oppression, that where you seal injustice, you bring justice, where people are uh, are naked, you clothe them. Where people are hungry, you feed them. This is the kind of devotion I'm after. Psalm 68, another quite well-known passage um, from the Old Testament. It says this, Sing to God, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. This is how God introduces them. When you introduce yourself to somebody, you tend to tell them some of the most important things about yourself, right? You tend to say, this is my name. This is what I do. I'm married to, so if you're married, I, I'm married to Sarah. I have four children. I'll tell you what are the most important things to me straight away at the front, on the whole. Okay, God introduces himself in Psalm 68. What does he say? I want you to know this about me. I'm a father to the father. So in other words, I'm a father to all those who don't have a father. I'm a defender for those who are defenseless. I'm a provider for those who cannot provide for themselves. I'm a restorer of what's lost. I take people who are on their own, people who are alone, people who are vulnerable, and I put them into a family and into a community where they are known and loved. This is what I do. In other words, God is saying, I care about justice. I care about children. I care about teenagers. I care about people who don't have fathers. The Center for Social Justice, many years ago now, wrote a study on the issue of the lack of fathers and the lack of men. The lack of men in schools, the lack of fathers around households, and they called it a men desert. And God says, I care about those who are widowed and orphaned and fatherless. I care about people who can't speak up for themselves. I I care for people who can't stand up for themselves. I care for people who can't provide for themselves. And God says, this is who I am, and therefore this is who you are to be as well. This is what is to matter to you. Jesus, at the end of Matthew 10, well, not at the end, but partway through Matthew 10, there's, Matthew 10 is basically Jesus sending out the disciples to go and do stuff. And pretty much every time he sends them out, they're not ready to go. Yeah, I mean, if you're always ready, by the way, for, to get perfectly ready to do something, you're going to wait a long time. Because <laughs> Jesus keeps, they keep messing up, they come back, they go, go out again. Because it's not all about them. So he says, I want you to go out, announce, preach it, and I want you to demonstrate it. I want you to heal and deliver captives. And then he says this little phrase right at the end, which is the killer phrase. You know, sometimes you're in a conversation with someone and they say something to you as they sign off on the phone or they close the door, and it's the killer phrase, which is loaded with explosives. Well, this is one of those moments with Jesus. He says, as you go, remember, freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, now freely give. Now let's, show, let's do a little show of hands. Anybody in the room received anything freely? Anybody received grace that they didn't deserve? Anybody being treated by God in a way that they should not have been treated? Anybody got mercy who shouldn't have got mercy, who should have got judgment? Anybody got resources in the room, maybe more than you actually just need for yourself? 
This might be true of everybody in the room. How many of you got a really good education? A number of you. How many of you come from a good, privileged family background? A number of you. Jesus is saying, in other words, every good gift you have, every provision, every blessing you have, you have received, everything you've received, it's not just for you. And they must not end with you. Freely you have received, now freely give. That's what Jesus is saying. So if anybody in the room has received anything from him that's good, or they've been fortunate in some way, it's not just for you. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to find somewhere to live, maybe to rent a house or a flat, or if you're fortunate enough to be able to buy somewhere. You tend to go off and you try and find the perfect place, right? Particularly people, families with children, small children, they like quiet places. Places come, you know, where there isn't loads of traffic. You don't tend to go, I want the A20. Give me the M11. That's not what we do, okay? We tend to go, I want a house set back. I don't, I'm on it quiet. I don't want it because loads of traffic feels dangerous. I want something quiet. Ideally, I want a cul-de-sac. That would be nice because then it's safe. And I think God knows that we tend to treat sometimes the things that he's done in our lives like we want a cul-de-sac. I like what he does in my life. I like the provision and the blessing and the goodness. I love the promises over my life but I tend towards wanting them to be like a cul-de-sac. And Jesus says to us, they are not just for you. Freely you have received, now freely you give. You're to be a conduit of what he's done, not a cul-de-sac. What does that mean for us as a church? Well, I think it means this. I believe it means the community around us. If the church is blessed, I think that means that the community around us should be different in certain ways because the church is present. And if you read, if you really read what appears to be important to God, it means this, that the situations of widows and orphans and children... And teenagers, you know the kids who just keep doing wheelies down the road when you're trying to drive? The marginalized, the disadvantaged, the misunderstood, the vulnerable, those who can't speak for themselves. Their situation should be better because the church is present and the church is active. That we play our part and it's only our part there are lots of other people who need to play their part in helping to restore to some degree what is broken in the communities around us. And I don't think this is an option. See, I think we can treat this as it's like an I don't think this is an option. You read Isaiah 58 again, you read Psalms, and you, you read Zechariah 7, you read other passages, Proverbs 14, you read, you read them, you will discover God is saying, no, no, this is literally who I am. This is the kind of devotion I'm after. If you want to read some strong words, read Matthew 25 and read what Jesus says about Judgment Day, about people who were clothed and people who didn't clothe people, people who visited and people who didn't. It is shocking. I don't think it's an option for us. Over the last few years, one of the passages which has most impacted me is Luke 10, 
If you know Luke 10 at all, in, in Luke 10, Jesus tells one of the most famous stories that I think anyone's probably ever told, certainly in the Bible. And it's the story that's been known as the Good Samaritan. Okay, I guess hopefully most of us, all that, that story, I remember that story from, I remember that story from Sunday school as a kid. Okay, And that story, Jesus tells that story. The context is a, a teacher of the law comes to Jesus and says, um, tell me, how do I inherit eternal life? Okay, now if someone says to you, how do I get to heaven? They're, they're probably, I understand the question, but they're asking the wrong question about the gospel. Okay, but it's fine. If he says, how, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you tell me. Well, what does the law say? So the guy says, well, he says to love God and love your neighbor. And then the teacher of the law asks Jesus a follow-up question. He goes, can you tell me, Jesus, who is my neighbor? In other words, who am I supposed to care for? Who am I supposed to be responsible for? And off the back of that story, Jesus tells this, or that question, Jesus tells this story. Now, parables are often have one big main point. Okay? So he says, well, who's my neighbor? So Jesus says, well, I'm going to tell you a story. And the story is there's a man in Jerusalem who's going to Jericho and on the road he is attacked he's beaten he's robbed he's stripped of all his clothes left for dead on the road left with hardly any life left in his body no clothes no money no dignity no way of saving himself three different people come along the first one is a priest the priest sees the man on the side of the road he sees him but he decides I've got to get going he crosses over and carries on walking then the next one is a Levite he's a worship leader no comment against worship leaders. Okay, but he's, he sees the man, decides he's not going to stop, crosses over and keeps going. Now, the, the story doesn't tell us they were bad people. They may have been good people. They may have been doing lots of other good things. They may have been on their way to do good things. The problem is he, they just don't stop. And the reason they don't stop is because their care only extends to the people who are on their agenda to the, to the people in their circle. And this guy on the road who's dying on the street is not their responsibility. His issue is not their issue, in other words. Or his issue is not his. And they don't stop. And then a third character comes along, a Samaritan. Jesus picks him very intentionally. He's the least likely person in the world to ever stop because he's an enemy. Jesus is deliberate about his character pick. He's an enemy. There's history. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Samaritans hated the Jews. They're scared of them. They are fearful. They're the ones the Jews are worried are going to attack them. So they try and avoid them. But the Samaritan man does something different. He sees the man. He sees the issue, in other words. And he stops. He attends to him. He picks him up. He takes him to an inn. It costs him his resources. It costs him some time. It is inconvenient. But he does it because... This man's issue is now his issue. Why is Jesus telling this story? He is telling this issue story because he is redefining. He is redefining who we are to be responsible for. Jesus is saying you are no longer just responsible for the people in your family or for the people who look like you or the people who you consider in your circle, or the people in your demographic, the people you consider your people, or the people in your church. Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to radically rethink who your circle of care reaches to, who you are to have concern 
for. That person, this person, that area, they, they may look and be completely different for you in terms of background, but their issue is becoming your issue. Clothe them. Feed them. Speak for them. Help them. Why? Because I am a father to the fatherless. I'm a defender of widows. I set the lonely in families. Freely you have received. Now freely give. Now for some of us in the room, there will be people right now, maybe particular or particular communities, sections of society that God is already speaking to you about where he says to you, look, there is, there's injustice in that area or there's brokenness there or there is disadvantage right there, right near you or there are captives there and God is speaking to you about and maybe already has spoken to you that there are things he wants to do through you into those areas or with those people or with that person. Freely you have received. Now you freely give. That's what you do. For some of us, it's as simple as people that we already know, who we work with, who we live next door to, who, who we interact with in some way. And you know God is speaking to you about how you think about, pray for, attend to that person. For others of us, though, it's a little different. There are issues, maybe concerns in the community, maybe areas of injustice that you know God has spoken to you about in the past. And maybe you've seen it, but you just haven't stopped. You've just walked on. And God is reminding you, no, 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 there's an issue there. I want you to play your part. I want you to be concerned for I want you to somehow step in and get involved. And you have a stirring in your heart even right now. And one of the things Simon's going to talk about a little later is just we want to encourage that step. For some of you, it's going to be like there's a little project burning in your heart or birthing. and It's like, I need some other people with me to own this and we together could maybe do something about that injustice or we could maybe help that bunch of people. And we want to help you get from here to there. And we can help you maybe with a little bit of seed funding, maybe help you find some like-minded people. Because in your heart, God is speaking to you about something in our area where God is saying, no, no, I'm a father to the fathers. I, I set the lonely in families. I'm a defender of the defenseless. And that's who you are to be. And Simon will talk a little bit more about that at the end. One area where I believe God has spoken to me just to kind of help earth this a little bit personally in the, in the last few years is the whole area of serious youth violence. I felt God speak to me over the last two or three years, and I know this is not unique to me. It's something Sarah and I, have, my wife and I, have, we've talked about this a lot, and I know many others in the community in our church feel very similarly, and God has been speaking to them as well, so it's not unique to me at all. And I've sensed God speak to me through conversations, conversations with people I know who are professionals who work in this area, who have spoken to me, and when I'm chatting to them, it feels like, I feel like God is like literally poking me. It's like it's not just a conversation. I mean, they're not poking me, but I can feel God is saying, listen, I feel God has spoken to me through things I've read, that I've observed, young people I know, and what's happening in their lives, and there have been prophetic moments. One quite fun but very moving prophetic moment was a couple of years ago, Sarah and I were in Zimbabwe with Stephen Deb. Steve leads the church, and we were in Harare with Scott Marks, who leads River of Life Church. And Scott's preached here before, and we were in their front room, and it was a meeting with their children's workers. 
And I'm, we're not doing anything. We're just in the room drinking their coffee, saying hi to people. At the end of the evening, with the kids' workers, Scott said, is there anybody here who has a question that you'd like to ask Stephen Deb or Phil and Sarah? And I'm thinking, they're going to ask Steve, because they always ask Steve. That's fine with me. I'll drink the coffee. Okay? And a young lady called Natasha, who I'd never met before, never spoken to, looks up. And I, in my mind's eye, she points at me. I don't think she did, actually. You! But that's what I felt like. Okay? She looked me dead in the eyes and goes, I've heard... There's a big problem in your area with knife crime and youth violence, and I'm wondering what you and your local church is doing about it. And I'm like, you're kidding. <laughs> like, this is supposed to be a kids' workers' meeting, and that's the question you ask me. And I feel like God is saying, listen, I'm speaking to you, thicko. <laughs> like, wake up. And I felt like God was speaking, obviously. And then, and then I felt God has spoken to me through this, through this story I've, I've talked about, the Good Samaritan. I felt God speak to me. And I felt God say to me, there are issues in your community, Phil, that you cannot walk past anymore. And now, today, for you, there will be things in your heart, things that God is saying, where he's saying to you, it may not be that, it's something else. You cannot walk past that anymore because I'm a father to the fathers, a defender of widows. I place the lonely in families. What are you going to do? So just as in terms of just to land the story. So in a few weeks' time, we're starting a little project in a local primary school. It's called an early intervention scheme. And we're sending some people from our church to coach some kids. It's a very broad project. So some of the kids are, just need someone else to talk to. But other kids at the other end of the spectrum are in real risk of getting involved with some pretty heavy stuff. And the idea is that if we meet them when they're eight, maybe by the time they're 15, we could really help them. And it's just a little step. What is the little step God is calling you to? Because it mustn't be just for you. And if God is blessing you or blessing us, it mustn't be just for us. Freely you have received, we have received. Now freely give, that's the mandate. Now as we close, a couple of things I want to say. Don't ignore the whisper. See, ignoring the whisper is like going, well, I see the issue, but I'm going to carry on walking. I'm just like the first two guys. It's not on my list. These people are not on my agenda. So don't ignore the whisper. Don't think that issue is not my issue. Because the whole point is God might be redefining for you who you are to be responsible for. That person may not look like you. They may have a very different background to you. But God is saying their issue is now becoming your issue. And don't think it's just too big and therefore you're going to give up because the truth is it is too big. You're not going to save the whole world. You know, the the world only gets saved and restored when Jesus returns. That's happening one day. It's just not this day, we don't think. I know someone's going to say, it says in the Bible, no one knows. I know that. They once asked Mother Teresa, they said, in the works in Calcutta, she said, the need is so huge, and yet, like, how do you feel about just doing this, and yet the need is so huge? And she, she famously said this. 
She said, it's not just a drop in the bucket, like what she was doing. She said, it's a drop in the ocean, but if I didn't do something, there would be one less drop. So friends, it might just be a drop, but just you need to do it if God is speaking to you. Because God doesn't have a problem with small things. Have you noticed this? We have a problem with small things because we think big things mean success. But actually, in the kingdom talk, when you read Jesus, Jesus goes, no, the kingdom stuff's like mustard seed. It's like yeast in dough. It's small stuff that has big impact. So you take your step. So as we close, I just want to say this to you. Start where you are. Use what you have. And do what you can. Let's stand. We're going to pray. And the band can come back up. I want to pray particularly for those of you in the room who you feel like God is speaking to you. And so I'd love us just to close our eyes. And if you know God is speaking to you, it might be a, 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 what you consider a small step, or it might be a bigger dream. I don't mind. But uh, I want us to close our eyes. I want you just to lift your hands where you are, just as a sign to him, say, I'm listening to you, Lord. And then I'm going to pray that God will give you the courage and the opportunity to see through some of the things he's putting in your hearts. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that you use really ordinary people like us. It's amazing because we know actually that you're the extraordinary one and we know that your kingdom is really amazing how you reach people and draw them to yourself and how you want to heal people who are far away from you. So God, I want to pray for every person in this room who has their hands raised, who are saying to you, yeah, I, I feel like I'm hearing you. I feel like I've I've seen an issue on the street or I've seen something and I've walked past it or maybe you've spoken to me before or maybe you're already involved in it but God is speaking to you again. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and brood over those thoughts and those dreams and the little whispers that you're placing in our heart and I want to pray that you'd find us good soil, that those things would plant and they would grow and there would be people who may or may never walk through the doors of our church, but God, they, they experience something of your kingdom touching their lives and there's some brokenness that is healed. And we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.